0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris, welcome to the Milestone 225th episode of X-Lapsed Or maybe another way we can look at this episode is uh, Let's see, we're we're starting our look at the last Annihilation crossover event here So maybe we dump the X from our title And we just call this Lapsed Annihilation Episode 1 Or Episode 0 uh, maybe maybe more people will listen if we give it a number one. That's kind of the uh, the way these things go. But all joking aside, we are starting our look at the uh, last Annihilation crossover event. Crossover event of sorts here, uh, featuring the Guardians of the Galaxy and Sword, and uh, probably a few other things, including uh, the cable-reloaded one-shot, which we'll be getting to in the coming weeks and months. But, uh... Today, we're looking at Guardians of the Galaxy. This is Guardians of the Galaxy, volume 6, number 15. Had an August 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 177. Stories called 15, colon, Hope You survive the Experience. Written by Al Ewing, with art by Juan Forgary, Colors, Freder- Federico Blee. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Edits, Kat Gregorowitz, Darren Shan and C.B. Sabalski, Cover price, $4. Went on sale June 23. Of 2021. Now, thankfully, we get a a single-page spread of roll call and cred to start us off here. Our characters include Nova, Star-Lord, Rocket, Groot, Gamera, Drax, Quasar, and Hercules. And we get a little bit of catch-up as well, um, and that's a good thing, because the last time I read Guardians of the Galaxy was during during the uh, time where, like, if there was a Marvel movie announced or about to be announced, or something on Hulu that was about to be announced... Bendis would kick whoever was on that book Off the book so he could take the book over And kind of reap the rewards from it Um, because, uh, what was it? Abnett and Lanning, they did, like, a whole lot Of work during the, uh, the 2000s Trying to rehabilitate the Guardians Of the Galaxy and, uh, managed To tell some really good stories from what I hear I mean, it's space stuff, so I really Didn't pay much attention to it But, then a movie's announced and suddenly Suddenly Bendis is in the writer's seat It's, uh (laughs) That happens more often than not, isn't it? So when I left uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, it was around the time where, like, uh, Agent Venom and Angela were added to the team. So, I mean, this is almost a decade ago at this point. Now, a little bit of catch-up from right around now-ish. Now, the Guardians have been sanctioned to protect the cosmos, like, officially. A scroll did something which caused Ego, the living planet, to be wrapped in a candy shell. And uh, Peter Quill has invited Doctor Doom to join the crew. And so we open, with a whole bunch of ships hovering around that black Ego M&M. On board the Almond, uh, the Guardians chat about what's going down. Gamera informs us that the looky-loos are from Rimworlds. Now, Rocket gives us the quick and dirty on what a Rimworld is, uh, to which Herc compares the Rimworld concept to the European Union, which ticks Rocket off, because uh, Earth people will only focus on Earth things and only compare anything to things that they can kind of uh, wrap their heads around, which is Earthly things. Uh, Groot then informs us that his name is Groot. Is this still funny? Was it ever? Was it ever funny? I I don't I don't think it was. Um, they then talk about what Pete and Rich are up to uh, because they were off to play diplomat, and we saw this play out in Sword Number Six. But here we're going to get the lead up to that. Uh, we're not going to have the post gala stuff. This is the story of uh, Star Lord and Nova arriving, and Pete is not yet wearing his stupid antlers. So. Let's shift scenes over to them here. We're on the Somerville craft, it's a little ship here, and Nova is pleading with Star-Lord to rethink his invitation to Doctor Doom, as, after all, he's Doctor Doom. Now, Pete compares Doom's atrocities to those of the Super-Skrull, so, um, I guess Super-Skrull is hanging with the ba- the good guys now, too? Ah, and it's like no wonder Marvel keeps having to have like these damned generic alien invasions every few months Because there, there are no villains anymore, right? I mean, every bad guy's a good guy now It's pretty ridiculous um, So it looks like the Super Skrull is part of the post-Empire Cree skrull Alliance gimmick But he's not going to be attending this diplomatic visit uh, The Empire Alliance is going to be represented by Pybok, Who, you know, we already know And we already saw this in that issue of SWORD anyway Rich and Pete then talk about Quill's son, Rocket, which I haven't the first foggiest idea about. Uh, From what I can glean here, Pete was sent to another dimension called Morinus, and it's one of them, you know, time distillery-do dimensions where a little time here equals a lot of time there. Uh, The Marvel multiverse is is full of those damn things, isn't it? Uh, The Somerville then arrives at the peak, Sword Station 1. Now, as the fellas sidle up, they talk a little bit about the Hellfire Gala. Uh, Nova admits that he's a little suspicious of Krakoa. Quill mentions that, so far, everything the mutants have done uh, has been a good thing, right? They ended the Snark War, they uh, saved the Shi'ar, and uh, they also found a way to control the Brood. Now, Nova, eh, he's still quite uneasy. Now, the Somerville docks, and our heroes are greeted by, uh, well... Uh, speaking of the snark part of Snark War, uh, it's uh, the most unlikable character this side of Maria Hill, Abigail Brand. Also, Magneto. Now, Nova is especially not happy to see Magneto, and, is, and he immediately threatens to take him down. Magneto reminds him that he's been granted amnesty for all of his evil doings, so there's really nothing to take him down for. Nova reminds him, and us, about something Magneto did back in the 1977 Captain America Annual Having to do with a Mr. One and a Mr. Two And uh, I figure the essential X-Lapsed will get there eventually Nova then tells him that while Magneto may have been forgiven for all the bad stuff he did on Earth Space never forgets Or something like that uh, Nova is quite annoyed that like all the baddies are being you know, forgiven at this point Citing Dr. Doom and Annihilus uh, I, I guess Annihilus is a good guy now? I, oh boy uh, Nova draws the line at Magneto For reasons, I suppose um, And honestly, I'm not sure these two have ever been in the same book before Much less the same panel So, oh well uh, Magneto responds to this by uh, Magnetically hurling a dropship in Nova's direction So uh, that's kind of a statement, I guess Uh, Nova and Magneto then spend two pages having a magnetic slap fight Nova socks Magneto in the mush, knocking Wolverine's toilet clean off his head Brand tells them both to stand down, and so they do Because who's going to question Abigail Brand, of course Brand then tells Ryder that, uh, hey, you know, you're just looking for an excuse to start this fight So you ought to cool your jets Now, Rich is ticked that Star-Lord didn't get involved and side with him, and Pete just suggests that he would have made things worse. And then he excuses himself to head down to the Green Lagoon. He invites Rich to come along, if the krakowans will let him. Left alone, Nova sorta kinda apologizes to Magneto, and Magneto sorta kinda returns the favor. They talk a little bit about the Guardians and, you know, the current state of things, and Magneto refers to them as the Avengers of Space, with a fair amount of disgust in his voice, and uh, I kind of agree. Uh, Nova then talks a little bit more about the current state of things. Um, The Super Scroll runs Ops, Dr. Doom is joining up, so it's a crazy time for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Magneto says he doesn't much trust Dr. Doom. Now, Nova agrees, of course, but here's the thing. Doom's got some weird precognition going on, and he claims that something bad is coming, and it's coming soon. I mean, do I even have to say it? Do I have to? I mean, it, this, this is the Marvel Universe, yes? Isn't there always something bad coming soon? Uh, we get five to six epic and interchangeable crossovers a year having to do with the end of the world and interchangeable alien invasions. So maybe, maybe we're giving Doom's magical intuition just a little bit too much credit here, because if you can't see that something bad's happening, then you should be locked up. Right? Anyway, Magneto hopes that Doom is wrong, which, again, Marvel Universe, Mags, come on. <laughs> there will be an alien invasion. There is going to be something bad. We shift scenes, and it's two days later, and we're back to the almond. By now, Steve Englehart's pet character Mantis has arrived, and suddenly, suddenly, the ego m M&M m begins to crack. Now, we wrap up our issue with the revelation that under the not-so-colorful candy shell, is Dormammu. And that's where we leave it. Last Annihilation will continue in the pages of Guardian 16, Sword Number 7, Guardian 17, and Cable Reloaded. Now, I've got all those books ordered and on their way, but uh, I don't know if we'll be covering the non-X ones. It all depends on how much sword's involved, how much... X-stuff happens in those two issues of Guardians. Uh, Otherwise, I might just mention them as part of the Sword and Cable episodes, respectively. But we will play it by ear because, uh, frankly, I haven't the foggiest idea what's about to happen. So uh, that'll do it for the issue. Uh, Next episode is our July finale for X-Lapsed, where we'll be taking a look at the latest in Marvel's Voices. This is Marvel's Voices Pride. But for now, let's uh, talk a little bit about this issue of Guardians. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, other than to say I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was pretty fun to read. Though the real, like, you know, ex-meat of the issue uh, felt very, very forced. The uh, little slap fight between Magneto and Nova, I don't know, I, I mean, I can understand and appreciate Nova being frustrated at the current state of things. Uh, maybe he's a representative of the... Of the readers of the day, where it's like, how, how many how many bad guys need to turn good here? How many uh, how many times are we gonna trust someone that has tried to take over the world or destroy the world or just do really really heinous things? So I can understand him being annoyed at seeing Magneto here, but that means that we have to ignore the fact that he's about to stand on you know uh, in, on a diplomatic council with any number of like me first beings, right? Uh, you've got All these different aliens, all these different uh, intergalactic races out there who are really in this for their own kind, right? We got the the horse heads from Power Pack who want the best for the horse heads, right? Skrulls who want the best for the the Kree-Skrull alliance. It's kind of what they do, right? They try to represent their people and kind of do right by them, at least in theory. So why in the hell... Would Nova come to a mutant satellite and not expect to see the Krakoan liaison to that mutant satellite? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. Then again, I mean, maybe he just didn't know that Magneto did represent Krakoa in this way. It's certainly possible. I mean, what people know and what people don't know seems to change by the issue. You know, it really depends on if the writer wants these characters to know certain beats of the story and certain bits of Krakoa. So maybe we can just uh, assume that Nova didn't know. But even so, upon discovering this, shouldn't he have just accepted it since this is just what the, the world is right now? I don't know, it just felt like uh, we needed action in this book, and that's uh, that was the way of facilitating it. I am interested to see if Magneto will factor into The Last Annihilation moving forward, considering that the scene we're seeing here probably happens sometime either right before the fireworks or maybe right after the fireworks of the gala, and the thing that happened uh, that was revealed in X-Factor number 10. So Magneto might not be available to uh, help sort out with uh, The Last Annihilation. And hey, maybe that's why they needed another you know white-haired old man in, uh, in Cable to uh, come back and do some stuff. So maybe that's where we're headed. Maybe it's not. Uh, I suppose it will all uh, remain to be seen. As for the rest of the, like, more Guardians bits of this It was fine um, I didn't feel terribly lost There were certain things that I was completely in the dark about uh, Peter Quill having a child named Rocket from a different dimension um, Just the the makeup of the team right now Having Hercules as a member I, you know, I didn't know much of that uh, Like I said, uh, last time I read this Agent Venom and uh, Angela were members of the team now, that said, I didn't feel so lost that I couldn't read it, right? Uh, sometimes we get a book where, like, heaven help you if you uh, if you haven't been following it for years because you just will not be able to glom onto any of it. Here, it was written in a very accessible sort of way. Of course, there are things I don't know because you do need to reward your loyal readers with, you know, not over-explaining things, uh, you know, again and again and again. So... I'm okay not knowing some of this stuff, because I really don't need it for the story that they're that they're going to tell with The Last Annihilation. And I'm sure if there are bits that I do need for it, I'm sure those will be presented in an accessible way. I've got all the faith in the world that uh, Al Ewing knows how to tell a story and knows how to uh, use a crossover to his benefit. Because, I mean, that's all we've seen in S.W.O.R.D. so far, right? Uh, we have gotten, like, two... Issues of sorts so far that have not been tied up in one crossover or another And with The Last Annihilation, we're going right back in Now, I don't know Ewing all that well, and that's, a, that's mostly his choice But what little I do know is that he will make the most out of a uh, crossover And this one looks like it's being engineered by him completely anyway So, yeah, I'm sure this is going to be very, very readable And uh, hopefully very, very enjoyable, just like this issue was what else we got? Um, I thought the art was really good. I don't know if this is the first time I'm seeing one for Gary's art. I, I don't think so, but I can't really point to another, another issue we've discussed that had, uh, had for Gary art on it. But I did quite like it. And uh, despite the fact that I don't care about the space stuff, and Dormammu is another character that really bores me, um, I do have to admit that this was very well presented, and uh, I'm optimistic so I think that's all I have to say about the issue. Um, if you are only reading the X books, this one might be worth a look. Um, either you know, pick it up now or check it out on Unlimited. Either way, I don't think you'll be uh, you'll be disappointed. Alrighty, on to the mailbag here, and uh, as luck would have it, we're gonna be talking a little bit more about Ewing and crossovers right here. Uh, Damien, he's talking about Sword Number Four. Damien says, Cano, Kano, Cano. I really don't care about Canol and the Caning in black. And, uh, yes, I agree. Damien continues, I feel like we're just hanging around waiting for a proper sword storyline to begin. Al Ewing is a good writer, so he does have some interesting character stuff, but he's being kneecapped by a crossover. It's like the modern Marvel universe can't think of anything that could actually help a book succeed. And, yeah, I mean, that's uh, exactly what we've been saying here... The sword series just does not. I'm saying a lot of s's here. I hope it doesn't sound awful. I am, I am using a pop filter, but you never know. <laughs> Multiple s's sometimes. Uh, now I'm trying to hold my s's back, so we'll see how this goes. M sword sells seashells by the seashore. That, that hopefully got my s's out. Um But yes, I mean, I totally agree. This is a. Uh, The book has been kneecapped by crossovers But as you said here, and as I said a few moments ago Ewing is able to really do good by his series In that, um, I mean, we had a whole King in Black story Which was focusing on Manifold and his powers And really just, I think that was a really good use of paginal real estate I mean, it, it, it did pay tribute to King in Black like it was supposed to but it also fleshed out this character that maybe some ex fans who didn't read the Hickman Avengers or New Avengers or wherever Manifold uh, made his appearances, it introduced us to this character. Now with Last Annihilation, at least Ewing is—he's in the captain seat here. He's doing all the big beats of this one. I don't know how far and wide Last Annihilation is going to go. I don't know if there's going to be one-shots, you know, featuring. Random space character A, B, or C But I do know we have the Guardians We do have the Cable One-Shot And we do have Sword And all of those are being written by Ewing So fingers crossed that this crossover actually serves those X-stories in some sort of way Now as for Marvel being clueless on what they can do to uh, help books succeed Yeah, it's almost like counterproductive at this point, isn't it? Marvel's become... Like a running Bendis gag, right? It's uh, renumber, reboot, uh, reveal uh, secret identity, uh, kill, resurrect, big event, repeat. That's that's everything from Marvel right now. There really isn't anything that feels like there's like a plan to it. Everything is just very very short sighted. I mean, uh, probably the, the the like the longest term thing right now is the Hox Pox books here because we know that Hickman had. Like a three or four-year contract, and we're at least gonna get three years <laughs> of a status quo. So fingers crossed that a you know new flavor of the month doesn't emerge and decide that uh, we're just gonna change everything for the sake of one month of really really good sales. So fingers crossed. But uh, thank you so much for writing in on uh, that caning in black can episode. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, next, meal talking about X-Factor number 10, the biggie. Meal says, oh boy, X-Factor 10. On the least controversial part of the whole thing, I actually like some of the outfits. Prodigy, Havoc, Quanon, etc. Though I would admit that some aren't as great as others. And yeah, this is a, uh, <laughs> That was a bugbear for me. I was not a fan of very many of these costumes. It, uh, didn't quite ruin the event for me, but it, uh... It's not something I'm going to remember fondly. These, uh, these carnation abominations are just, uh... Ugh. Um, <laughs> continues. The real-world event that the Prodigy arc harkens back to is Ed Buck, who still hasn't had a trial. And while as someone who isn't a queer black man and therefore isn't the most important voice in the discussion, however, my opinion is that I wish it hadn't been rushed, though I understand why it was. It would have been much better, and at least it would shed light on a topic that needs much light. And yes, as I was uh, writing the uh, the notes for this issue, I uh, became aware of the Ed Buck thing. I, I didn't know anything about it beforehand, and I still don't know too terribly much about it because I didn't want it to um, I didn't want it to color the way I received the issue. You know, um, I think that a comic should be able to be read, as a comic, and not always as a commentary on something, or not always as a torn from the headlines on something, just in a vacuum, because in 15, 20 years, I mean, you, we won't have the, we won't have like the, the gestalt context, right? Sure, the reference will still be there, but we're gonna be so far removed from it that uh, it won't instantly come to mind. So any story should be able to stand on its own. So that was the way I approached it. I can totally understand and appreciate why people may be off-put by the uh, the way this story was rushed. I, I also heard that uh, people were bothered by the fact that uh, iBoy got the most shine in that scene here. He's the one who kind of actualized himself, right? He found his, or he displayed his new powers here. Uh, Prodigy was kind of pushed into the background, and... Was just there to pat IBoy on the back and say, I'm proud of you. Which, you know, might not be the best look, but what's the alternative to that? Uh, Do we have Prodigy kill the guy? I mean, I'm really not sure how to play it out another way. I mean, we didn't need IBoy to do what he did. We could have just left it with Prodigy having knocked the guy out then have Dakin, Dakin and Aurora show up and the police show up and, uh, you know, everything plays out the same. I feel like iBoy one-upping Prodigy is probably a result of the truncation, right? The book was canceled. We were almost certainly going to be getting an Boy uh, arc since uh, that was one of our mysteries that we were building here. Professor X noticed that iBoy is, uh, is exhibiting... You know, some some very, very special powers here And wants to know more about it Northstar comically said, no (laughs) I won't be filling you in on that So I think that had to pay off in some sort of way Is it the best way to pay it off? Eh, Probably not But I mean, given the options that we had The fact that X-Factor number 10 didn't get extra pages For whatever dumb reason And the fact that we don't know when these characters are going to be spotlit again Right? We know they're going to be playing a, a role in the Trial of Magneto, but that feels like it's going to be mostly a Magneto story. Again, I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, this is... I hate the, the phrase, it is what it is, because it's very, very defeatist, but uh, it kind of is what it is. Meal continues. I saw some people complaining about the way Akihiro and Aurora were acting a bit insensitively. However, given their characters, it makes sense. Neither of them have the cleanest reps, and it could be fun if they both turn to the dark side. I just want some evil mutants. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> I agree, I'd like some evil mutants. Uh, I'm not sure if I want it to be Dakin, Dakin, and Aurora, but uh, I, you know, I did see a little bit of, uh, of clapback on the way they kind of were insensitive or aloof or however you want to describe it. But I mean, they were there to do a thing, right? Um, Dakin, Dakin. He, you know, he grabbed Prodigy's body, put it in a duffel bag, carried it out. Um, how else was he going to do that? Uh, people had said that that was showing, you know, great uh, disrespect to Prodigy's body. But the whole point of that bit was removing Prodigy's body from the basement before the police arrived, and it's not like. Dak and Dakin could just, you know, flop Prodigy over his shoulder Or walk him out like, you know, Weekend at Bernie's or something They, they had to hide the body So, I mean, again, is it a good look? No <laughs> But it's another case of Let's look at the other way it could have went And let's actually play it out, right? We have Dak and Dakin go out and uh, Very respectfully, you know, carry the body out The police show up and they're like Hey, why are you carrying that corpse? We need that corpse, it's, it would undermine what, uh, what they set out to do. It's, again, not a great look, but maybe the lesser of a few evils. And again, I, I really don't know. <laughs> Meal continues. As you've probably gathered by this point, Tommy Shepard is my favorite superhero, so any comic that has him makes me happy. One, he's got green eyeliner, which is amazing, and two, his outfit is very Eastern European, which goes with what the fans have been saying forever. Honestly, Leia keeps writing in things about Tommy that the fans have been saying for forever. Example: North Star, and I really enjoy how emotional he was when he found out. Overall, I'm really excited for the trial of Magneto. Now, this was pretty crazy here. It's like, um, even though we were, you know, this book was was canceled out from under us. Um, there was a lot of truncation here. Williams and Baldion were still able to make everything come to like a point. You know. We've had Tommy kind of on the sidelines of this series he's been in and out you know he's been giving us clues he hasn't been featured as a as like a focused character very often but he has been on the fringes of this book and here we we do the thing with the Scarlet Witch we just so happen to be able to just dovetail Tommy back into the story and he is the one along with uh, Prodigy and I boy who discover the body of Tommy's mommy I mean, how perfect is that? Uh, its I don't know if it was by accident, by design, a mixture of both, just luck. But, uh, I mean, this was really the best way to have that revelation happen. Meal wraps up with, So until I get my Hawkeye X Green Arrow crossover, be mine X-Lapsed. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, actually, the only time that could have happened, uh, we had... Uh, Ollie was dead, right? It was Connor Hawke who was Green Arrow around uh, you know, the mid-90s when they were doing the amalgams and the DC vs. Marvel slash Marvel vs. DC stuff. And at that point, I mean, Green Arrow wasn't a huge character. I certainly wasn't all that huge a character. So uh, that was probably the most opportune time to uh, to strike that match, and it just didn't happen. And... Now that we have uh, two mega corporations <laughs> involved in any sort of uh, talent exchange, I just don't see that happening, unfortunately. But uh, thank you so, so much for writing in about uh, the very challenging and final issue of X-Factor. Now, last but not least, we have Andrew talking about New Mutants number 19. Andrew says, I was surprised that Scout was killed off. I don't think I've ever read a book with her in it, but I'm pretty sure she's a fan favorite, so killing her probably ruffled some feathers. It's an interesting move considering all the talk about clones and resurrection. It was the one portion of the issue that piqued my interest. I don't normally read New Mutants. I find it's too much into the soap opera range and the superhero soap opera scale. I don't have any real connection to these characters, so reading a book that's mostly just their drama just doesn't do it for me. I don't think it's bad. I'm just content to hear about it from you rather than reading about it myself. And yeah, I could see uh, New Mutants maybe not being for everyone. Um, I, I quite enjoy it, especially now that uh, Vida is honored. Vida Ayala, however we say their name, I'll, I'll probably never get it right. Uh, probably both of them are wrong, <laughs> for all I know. But I could totally see, uh, especially if you don't have any connection to the characters. I didn't initially have any connection to them, Um, and I've talked about this before. Uh, Generation X was my New Mutants. Uh, The first New Mutants that I read in earnest was uh, Volume 2, the Tsunami, the Marvel Tsunami stuff, which led into the Academy X stuff. So as I was reading that, I really didn't have a whole lot of uh, connection to these characters outside of what I saw from them in uh, books like X-Force and uh, X-Factor for Wolfsbane. So, you know, being in tight with them as they were, you know, with the actual New Mutants, the kids, that was sort of out of my wheelhouse until I would go on to read it later on and uh, found a fairly deep appreciation for it. Uh, they're still not Generation X, but uh, they'll do. They'll do. Uh, scout, yeah. Um, Killing Scout off, I think that's something that... I think a lot of us saw coming for a while Especially with all the conversation about uh, clones and resurrection and stuff like that I figured as soon as they mentioned that back in uh, I think it was uh, Vidalis' first issue They made it very clear that Scout's resurrectability was uh, at least in question I think that was probably the first of many nails in Scout's uh, either temporary or permanent coffin I wasn't expecting it here I wasn't expecting it as part of the Hellfire Gala crossover event, though, I mean, it is good use of, uh, you know, potentially having more eyes on a book that maybe people don't read quite as much as the other X-books. You mentioned it yourself. You don't usually read this, but you read it for the gala. So that is a possibility that they were just taking full advantage of the fact or a possibility that uh, this was going to be a uh, wider circulated story. And you really drive that point home that anything can happen in this book by, by killing off a, a fan-favorite character. Andrew continues, I really have no thoughts on the issue otherwise. It was fine. I imagine for those who do read New Mutants month to month, they'll like what they got. As for myself, I'm just tired of reading these books I don't normally read. I applaud the fact that you actually do read every book because I'm already dragging my feet on finishing the rest of the Hellfire Gala. Had I been more clued into the fact that the Hellfire Gala wasn't really something I needed to read every X-Title for, I don't think I would have committed to buying them all. And this takes us back to uh, Damien's comment on Marvel not knowing what to do to help books out. Everything's about the short term here, so Andrew went all in on Hellfire Gala, wasn't impressed with everything in it. So is this a case of one spit and twice shy, and the next time we have a massive X-Men crossover event, Maybe Andrew won't try the other books, right? Maybe he'll stick to the books that he normally buys and then wait for Unlimited or just not bother at all with the ones that he is less interested in. Over the course of this show, we've had two big crossover events, right? We've had ExaTens and we've had Hellfire Gala. And from what little—I mean, this is all anecdotal—but from what little feedback I got on these events is that uh, folks were curious enough to try them, but for the most part, they came away disappointed. And again, I'm not making a blanket statement. This is all anecdotal. So, I mean, take it for whatever it's worth, which might be very, very little. I just feel like we, we're going the wrong way if that's the case. You know, we're, we're tricking people into expanding their readership. But we're not delivering when they do. There's a lot of talk about missed opportunities when it comes to comic books, right? Uh, we can go back to, you know, Bob Harris getting, getting fired as EIC back in... Uh, Around the turn of the century Because he totally bungled An X-Men strip that was going to appear In TV Guide To kind of co-promote with the film And the comics And kind of almost serve as a gateway To folks who might be interested Because of the X-Men movie Into maybe sliding over into the comics I mean, that's what comics used to have to do And TV Guide was huge Uh, It's one of those things That it's hard to wrap your head around nowadays But TV Guide was uh was like the, the biggest periodical in the country or maybe even the world. So having an X Men strip in there is a huge opportunity, and they bungled it. Chris Claremont wrote a script that was incomprehensible to even longtime readers of the X Men, and uh, yeah, that's what's theorized as being in part why Bob Harris was shown the door, which led to you know Jemison Casada. That said, opportunity. You need to take advantage of opportunities here. I've complained before about Free Comic Book Day, which is another opportunity. You're going to have looky-loos coming in. You're going to have passively curious comic book readers, right? People who you can win over, maybe, if you give it a shot. And instead of choking up on the bat and, you know, swinging for the fences, you're going to give us a reprint of something from four continuities ago that has absolutely nothing to do with anything but... Hey, maybe it'll have Deadpool on the cover and, and people like Deadpool, right? Or maybe it'll have Harley Quinn on the cover And people like Harley Quinn, right? It's a missed opportunity Here we have a crossover Two crossovers from the X-Men books of late We've got X of Tens That the artist of the uh, of I think the Wolverine issue, Victor Bogdanovic He actually tweeted out that he had no idea What was going on in the whole story He's part of the creative team And had no idea What was going on in the story how is someone who is just moderately curious, maybe in a literal x lapsed fan, someone who maybe hasn't read the X-Men books since Morrison, or maybe came in when Bendis was on the books, or maybe hasn't read them since the late 90s, what happens when they come in? It's a missed opportunity. And I feel the same way about the Hellfire Gala here We all have our favorites from this line, right? We've all got our tiers We all have our favorites We all have our ones that we tolerate And we all have the ones that we have uh, as least favorites Or just plain dislike You would hope that in the Hellfire Gala here With the possibility of having so many new eyes on these, uh, on these books That everybody would bring their A-game And not just ratchet what they do up to 11 Because if you dislike Excalibur in a normal month Cranking Excalibur up to 11 is only going to make you dislike it more Right? Um, I don't know, I feel like I'm talking in circles right now So I will uh, I will put a pin in it uh, It's just, suffice it to say This is an opportunity uh, Andrew here went out and bought these books that he doesn't usually buy And maybe next time he's not going to And that's that's not a good thing for any of us, is it? Now, Andrew wraps up with, so, until Mr. Sinister offers a Memorial Day sale on black market clones, make my next lapsed. Well, thank you so much for writing in on this one, Andrew, and uh, for whatever it's worth, I appreciate that you're uh, reading these books that you wouldn't normally uh, read simply because I like hearing from you. <laughs> I like hearing your thoughts on them. So, for whatever it's worth, I appreciate it. Marvel may not, but uh, your buddy Chris does. Now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of their buddy Chris, you could do so very easily. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen. You can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline, 623-396-JERK. Had a uh, real fun time covering some voicemails last episode. Look forward to uh, getting some more so I can share them here on the show. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrissoninfiniteearths.com. You can also join us on Facebook. The little Facebook group is 90sXmen. And for all the archives and all the Chris and Reggie stuff, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which is available anywhere that the internet aggregates noise. Uh, With all that out of the way, I would like to thank you all so, so much for letting me be part of your day today. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.